You're listening to the Brooke Snow Podcast, conversations to help you look forward with faith, faith in yourself, faith in God, and faith in your own mission and purpose. I'm your host, Brooke Snow. You have episode 93, The Fruit of Happiness. The pursuit of happiness is at the core of who we are as humans. And I think it's for good reason. We know that Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. Our divine nature, who God created us to be, is joy. We all want to be happy, but so much gets in the way. In Lehi's vision of the tree of life, he describes seeing a tree with fruit that was desirable to make one happy. If we desire happiness ourselves, then I believe there is a lot we can learn from this vision about how to taste of this fruit of happiness and likewise what it is that takes us away. I have a feeling you may never look at the vision of the tree of life quite the same again after this episode. My hope is you'll come away with a much clearer vision of how you can taste the fruit of happiness every day. If you enjoy this podcast, I know you would love my book, Living in Your True Identity. It's available in Deseret Bookstores and on Amazon.com. It's filled with 21 tools to help you live life as the best version of yourself. Thank you to everyone who has left a review for this podcast on iTunes. I read every review and I'm so grateful for each person who takes the time to give back in this way. If you haven't left a review yet, I would love to hear what your biggest takeaway from these episodes has been so far. Today's review of the week comes from Gospel Gold Digger. She says, episode 89, holding space blew my mind. This is gold. Brooke takes the teachings of Jesus and literally makes you feel it's possible to live them beautifully and with purpose, even through the difficult days. I'm so grateful to have stumbled onto this inspired podcast. Everything I've heard in these sessions has resonated in my soul as gospel truth. My greatest takeaway is her teaching of meditation. I'm ready to allow this to change my experience with prayer. I'm well past 60 years old, and I have never been introduced to the importance of daily meditation. This is a new and very timely revelation for me. I'm so grateful and genuinely looking forward to daily meditations with Brooke. Truly, Brooke is an instrument for good in today's world. Thank you for showing up to lift and light the way for the rest of us. Well, Gospel Gold Digger, thank you so much for the review. And I am most excited to hear that you are seeing how meditation can change your experience with prayer. After today's episode, my hope is that people can see how meditation can change their experience with life in general, and in particular, how it can help us to be happier. I'm excited for your new meditation journey and cheering you on. If you want to be the reviewer of the week, please leave me a five-star review in iTunes and share your favorite takeaway so far. Your ratings and your reviews, your shares, this is what makes this podcast possible. So thank you so much for listening and for sharing. So friends, let us talk about the fruit of happiness. Earlier this year, I created a podcast series on what I call the law of creation. If you haven't listened to those episodes, I'm going to link them here in the show notes because they provide a really important foundation to what we're talking about today. In short summary, the law of creation defines the elements that make up the spiritual and physical creation of all things. Spiritual creation includes what we see, say, and feel. It's our thoughts and feelings. Physical creation includes what we do. 
It is our actions. In my live creation podcast series, we go into those elements in greater detail, and we even explore how all of them show up in the story of the creation of the world and other places in the scriptures. Because we were created to be a joyful people, we all want to taste of this fruit that is desirable to make one happy. To do so, it is important for us to understand how to create this experience. In this episode, we're going to focus on the role our thoughts play in our journey towards the tree of life and being able to taste of this fruit of happiness. Now, remember, our thoughts are a combination of what we see and say, which are elements of spiritual creation. So for the next few moments, let's have some fun overlaying this vision as a map for the role our thoughts play in being able to be happy. Now, before we begin, we need to establish one important detail. Not every thought that comes into your mind is true. Have you ever had a particular impression of someone and then been totally surprised to discover everything you assumed about them was not true at all? Or perhaps you've experienced what it's like to form an opinion about a circumstance or event, and then you gain additional information that completely changes your perspective. Stephen Covey calls this a paradigm shift. In his iconic book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he opens the book sharing his experience of being on a subway one Sunday morning in New York City. He says, people were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some lost in thought, some resting with their eyes closed. It was a calm, peaceful scene. Then suddenly, a man and his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing. And yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I cannot believe that he could be so insensitive as to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, with what I felt was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more? The man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, Oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Can you imagine what I felt at that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly, I saw things differently. And because I saw things differently, I thought differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior. My heart was filled with the man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed freely. Your wife just died? Oh, I'm so sorry. Can you tell me about it? What can I do to help? Everything changed in an instant. Now, while this may seem like an extreme example, I don't think it's too far off from how we often experience life. 
We see people or situations and can be so quick to jump to conclusions to satisfy our brain's need to find meaning in all that happens around us. Brene Brown, in her book, Rising Strong, refers to this natural human tendency as telling ourselves stories. We tell ourselves stories to make sense of everything. We tell ourselves stories about who we are, what other people think about us, why someone responded the way they did. We tell stories about what someone said. So much of our personal suffering in life comes from these stories. Unfortunately, our stories are almost never 100% true. Have you ever wondered where these stories come from? How is it we so quickly and unconsciously form these stories that bring the fruit of unhappiness? Some stories we inherit from our family, others from our culture or community, but even still, they originate from one main source. For just a moment, I invite you to think of a challenge you are experiencing in your life right now. If you were to write the thoughts that have come into your mind regarding this challenge, what would they be? In our grade school English writing classes, we were taught the difference between first person narratives and second or third person narratives. First person narratives are told using the pronoun I. You are narrating your story in your own voice. Second or third person narratives are told using the pronoun you or he or she. Now, why would this be important to distinguish in our own thoughts? Is the thought in first person or is it in second or third person? Is the story in your head using the I pronoun or is the story being told using the you pronoun or he or she? When we can determine what perspective the story is told from, we gain some very important insight. I can know if the story being told is in second or third person, that it's not me telling the story. I'll restate that once more for dramatic effect. I can know if the story being told is in second or third person, that it's not me telling the story. It can't be. It comes from someone else. So if you're not telling the story, then who is? Well, we have one of two options. It's either the devil on your one shoulder or the angel on the other. If the story you tell takes you into darkness, then it's from the devil. If the story brings you light and love, then it is from the angel. That's from the Lord. The origin of thought comes from one of two sources. These thoughts are like seeds planted in our mind. These stories will come into our mind in second or third person narrative. And what happens next is very important. If we choose to repeat the thought, focus on the thought, replay the thought, it will water the seed and it will grow. In so doing, there is a transformation that takes place. We convert those second or third person thoughts into first person thoughts. We identify with them. We personalize them. A thought like you are not enough, which started in second person becomes, I am not enough. First person. Now that the thought is personal, 
it starts to feel more believable. Not only that, the words I am are powerful, sacred creation words. They're not only a name of God, but they instantly trigger all parts of spiritual creation. You see an image of yourself in your mind. You say the words and you will automatically feel an associated feeling. Your feelings then influence what you do, your actions. And thus we see the law of creation in effect. So often we talk about Satan as our tempter. We know he tempts us to choose evil, but before he can even do that, he must first get us to believe his story. Once we believe him, we then make choices to support our belief. He will plant seeds of thought into our mind. And once we personalize the thought and repeat it and water it, we begin to believe those thoughts are true. Satan is an interpreter. We go through this life and we interact with others and have experiences. We're here on earth learning. Because our brains seek to find meaning in it all, Satan will constantly tell us how to interpret everything. He tells us what other people think of us. He tells us what other people's motivations are. He tells us what God thinks of us. He tells us what our past means about us and what fearful things lay in the future. He constantly tells us what is in other people's heads and what they're thinking. But unfortunately, these interpretations are inaccurate. They are never 100% true. When we believe his interpretation, we suffer and we make choices that lead us away from the fruit of happiness. In Lehi's vision of the tree of life, he describes seeing a straight and narrow path and rod of iron leading to the tree. He sees a mist of darkness that blinds the view of those traveling the path. He sees a great and spacious building separate from the tree that is filled with people mocking those partaking of the fruit of the tree. When he awakes, Lehi immediately shares the details of his vision with his family. But as far as we know, he does not share the interpretation of it. Dreams are often symbolic in nature, and this one is no exception. What Lehi describes means nothing until we receive an interpretation. Similarly, we too are going through life having experiences. The prophet Jacob even described life saying, our lives passed away like as it were unto us, a dream. Nothing in our life has meaning until we put a meaning on it. Satan is quick to interpret the meaning for everything. Thankfully, this is not the only meaning that we can choose from. We are not left alone. Truth, however, must be sought for. Lehi's son, Nephi, desires to know what his father's dream means. Instead of making assumptions or believing the interpretation that Satan is surely offering, Nephi goes to the Lord and asks for the Lord's interpretation. In response, the Holy Ghost appears to Nephi and guides him through the dream, providing God's interpretation of every part of the dream. Nephi learns what the rod of iron means what the path means, what the tree means. He learns the interpretation of the fruit, the mist of darkness in the great and spacious building, 
and many other details. This absolutely fascinates me. Nephi does the work to obtain the proper interpretation. And what does it do for him? It fills him with faith. It helps him see his father as a man who is led by God. It gives him faith in the journey that they're taking as a family. It gives him faith in his own ability to seek God's interpretation in all things. So what does this mean for us? This life, just as Jacob described, is also like a dream that must be interpreted. And there's always two interpretations. Satan will offer his interpretation immediately. He doesn't need permission and he doesn't need to be asked. He is always interpreting. He speaks in second and third person, offering his interpretation. Have you ever wondered what Satan's interpretation of Lehi's dream was? Now, remember, Lehi shared his dream with his entire family. We know that Nephi sought the Lord for interpretation. Which interpretation do his sons Laman and Lemuel receive? We know that they didn't ask God for an interpretation and that later Laman and Lemuel separate from the family and for generations afterward, there is war and bloodshed between their descendants. Do you suppose they were offered a different interpretation from Satan? Of course they were. (laughs) We are all offered Satan's interpretations for every single experience in our life. If I were to take a guess... I think Satan's interpretation of Lehi's vision might sound a bit like this. Your father thinks he's so special and chosen by God because of his dreams. He said God told him in a dream that Jerusalem would be destroyed, but you know it wasn't. You went back to Jerusalem twice already and it's totally fine. It hasn't been destroyed. You can't trust his dreams. Look where that's led you already. This new dream is a total hoax as well. He's just making you suffer out here. Your father thinks you can't make it to the tree. He doesn't believe in you. He said that you didn't come to the tree in his vision. Your father thinks you are misguided. He just wants to control you. If he really loved you, he would not have told you that he feared for you. He thinks he knows everything. He loves Nephi and Sam more than you. He's always favoring Nephi and Sam. Now, of course, I'm just taking a wild guess at Satan's interpretation, but I'm pretty familiar with the way he interprets everything in my life, so I feel confident this is pretty close to what he would have said. We, too, are always being offered an interpretation of everything. Did my friend not respond to my text message? She must be upset with you. She must be offended by you. Did I catch a glance from someone across the room looking annoyed? She doesn't like you. She thinks she's so much better than you. Are my kids fighting with each other? You're such a terrible mom. If you were a better mom, they would be better behaved. Is my husband late coming home? You are not important to him. He would much rather be working than be with you. And so it goes. Story after story. Interpretations. Brene Brown tells us that the most dangerous stories we make up are the narratives that diminish our inherent worthiness. Ever notice how much the stories focus on what other people think of you? 
This targets your identity immediately, and it causes you to doubt and forget who you are. Now, I promised earlier that we would overlay Lehi's dream as a map for the role our thoughts play in our ability to be happy. We know the seed of our thoughts come from one of two sources. They either come from Satan or they come from God. The rod of iron leads to the tree. And what does the rod represent? The word of God. May I suggest the word of God is thoughts from God. True thoughts, good thoughts, they're words, thoughts that lead you to taste of the fruit of happiness. We also know there are many times along the path, a mist of darkness comes. This mist of darkness brings confusion and causes many to let go of the rod of iron. Satan's interpretation and seeds of thought are darkness. They surface doubts in the mind about what is true, especially if we have watered and nurtured his seeds and personalized them to be about who we are and what other people think of us. When we begin to believe those thoughts, we have proverbially let go of the rod of iron. We've let go of the true and good thoughts from God that lead us to happiness And now we find ourselves wandering away towards a great and spacious building. Now, it's important to note, in the vision, there are two points of destination. One is the tree. One is the great and spacious building. The tree of life in this vision is not an end-of-life destination. And we know this because there are people that make it to the tree and they partake of the fruit, but then they fall away. The tree of life is not an end of life destination, but rather a daily life destination. This is where we want to live every day. We want to live here and eat of the fruit desirable to make one happy. There are two destinations. One is the tree and one is the great and spacious building. Each of them represent a reality. But there is a very important difference between the two. One reality is true, and the other reality is false. Lehi describes the great and spacious building as floating in the air above the ground. It has no foundation. It's not grounded. Comparatively, the tree of life is rooted in the ground. It is rooted in truth, and it is eternal. When we live in the reality of the great and spacious building, it has no foundation. It isn't grounded in truth. It floats in the air, which I would even describe as being a type of mirage. If we're talking about thoughts here, it is the experience that we have when we believe an interpretation from Satan that isn't 100% true. When we believe his stories and we personalize them for ourselves, we live in a reality that is ungrounded and more so does not have the fruit of happiness. There are several groups of people in Lehi's vision who want to get to the tree. Several people do make it, and they even partake of the fruit. But not everyone stays there. There are some that partake of the fruit and fall away. How come? Why do they fall away? Because they were ashamed. Shame is a 
feeling. Feelings come from thoughts. They fall away because of thoughts. They stop believing thoughts from God, the word of God, and they start believing thoughts that created the feeling of shame. Where do those shameful thoughts come from? They come from the mocking in the great and spacious building. This can be words from actual people in the world, but far more prevalent, it is the mocking from the evil interpreter, Satan planting seeds of thought in the mind about who we are and what is happening around us. The danger here is that this mocking is far less obvious because it sounds like the voice in your own head. Can you see why it is so important to discern what point of view these thoughts enter into the mind? It will sound like your own voice, but it is not your voice. Listen for statements that use second or third person narratives. Stories planted in our mind about ourselves will use the pronoun you. Stories planted in our mind about other people will use the pronouns he and she. You aren't good enough. She thinks this. He wants that. It's all a narrative. It is an interpretation to lead our thoughts to wander off the path. Have you ever heard thoughts described as wandering? Our mind wanders, most especially when thoughts come in that take us away from being present and take us away from the word of God. We typically interpret this dream as it relates to our actions. You are on the path if your actions are righteous. You are off the path if your actions are unrighteous. The mocking from the people in the great and spacious building are actions, audible things we physically hear or see from others. While this is still true, it's important to back up. Actions come after a thought. We benefit greatly when we can trace everything back to the moment things started to get off. The origin of everything is a seed. And in this case, it is the seed of thought. So what in the world are we to do? (laughs) For starters, we need to become very aware of our thoughts. King Benjamin in the Book of Mormon speaks to this very matter when he says, but this much I can tell you, that if you do not watch yourselves and your thoughts and your words and your deeds and observe the commandments of God and continue in the faith of what you have heard concerning the coming of our Lord, even unto the end of your lives, you must perish. And now, O man, remember and perish not. I love that King Benjamin says to watch ourselves, to watch our thoughts and our words. The word watch in this scripture can be used here as a word of warning, and it also can be used here as a solution to the problem. (laughs) Watch your thoughts and words, observe them, notice them, become aware of them. If you are watching and observing them, you're far more likely to notice when the thoughts are words from God and when the thoughts are interpretations from Satan. You're watching You aren't personalizing the thoughts and identifying with them, clinging to them and nurturing them. You're curious. Where did this come from? Is it light or is it darkness? When we can watch the thoughts, we retain our agency. 
and can choose which seeds we want to plant and nurture and which seeds we will cast aside. We can act for ourselves and not be acted upon. In the New Testament, Jesus teaches the parable of the sower. In Matthew 13, we read, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Friends, we live in a world of opposition. God is not the only sower of seeds. Satan sows seeds as well. If we can learn to watch and observe our thoughts, we can discern what seeds we want to nurture and which ones we want to cast by the wayside. When I have a thought come into my mind that doesn't feel good, I watch it. I get curious about it. What point of view is this thought coming from? If I discern it to be a thought from Satan, I visualize, I actually picture this in my mind, (laughs) that I'm casting that seed by the wayside. I literally toss it aside. I don't have to nurture it by repeating it over and over, replaying it, dwelling on it, ruminating on it. All that does is plant it in the good ground of my mind and water it to bear fruit. Only the fruit that seed brings is not delicious to the taste, and it does not make me happy. It causes me to wander away and to be ashamed. I have a dear friend really struggling right now with her thinking, and we've had countless conversations about a traumatizing event in her past that she just can't seem to move past. She's constantly reliving the past with ruminating thoughts. She has a story playing on repeat in her mind about how this event should have never happened, how her life has spiraled down, how this event has weakened her relationships. Her confidence is shattered. She says that she wants to move forward and get better, and she's trying to integrate some supportive habits into her life, but she often doesn't make it very far or very long because the story playing in her mind keeps causing her to stumble. In these conversations, we've talked about the power of our thoughts and the ability that we have to choose which thoughts to keep and which ones to discard, which ones to cast by the wayside. Now, let me pause here and note that there are times when the brain can have a chemical imbalance. And the idea of simply choosing to think differently feels absolutely impossible. Your physiology informs your psychology. It's important to take care of the physical body so our mind can be right. If there is a brain imbalance, seek the support needed to get the physiology working properly. In the meantime, we can also simultaneously start to integrate the practice of watching your thoughts. My friend is seeking professional help to help her brain. And she's also become more curious about what else she can do to help her thoughts. Now, of course, my go-to practice for this is meditation. 
Meditation is the most powerful and effective way that I have found to practice observing my thoughts. As my friend and I have talked, she's asked so many questions about meditation, seemingly a little skeptical to try it. (laughs) But I think things really started to click when we looked at the broader picture. Because here's the thing. We meditate not to get good at meditation. We meditate to get good at life. If I meditate on a mantra, there is something inevitable that will happen. My mind will drift. Maybe I'm meditating on the mantra, I love and accept you, Brooke. And I'll be thinking this mantra and repeating it in my mind. I love and accept you, Brooke. I love and accept you, Brooke. I love and accept you, Brooke. But then something happens. I start thinking other thoughts. What should I make for dinner tonight? Did I remember to put the laundry in the dryer? I really need to schedule a haircut. And so many other seemingly random thoughts. So what do I do when I realize my thoughts have wandered? I forgive myself, come back, and begin again. I let go of the wandering thoughts, and I come back to my mantra. Now, this all sounds lovely, right? (laughs) But we don't meditate to get good at meditation. We meditate to get good at life. Fast forward to later in my day when a thought comes into my mind. Maybe I sent a text message to a friend, and I can see that she has read it, but she hasn't responded. The thought comes into my mind, you're not important to her. She thinks you're stupid. She doesn't like your idea. More time goes by. No response. The thoughts come again. I start to feel ashamed by the mocking thought. But then, because I spent time that morning meditating and essentially training myself to notice my thoughts, I realized that this thought is just an interpretation. I don't have to nurture it. I can cast it to the wayside. I let the thought go and come back to my mantra. I love and accept you, Brooke. And then I go on with my day. Now, it may seem ultra simple, but this takes practice. I basically spent more than 30 years believing every thought that came into my mind. It was only once I began to meditate that I gained power over my thinking and I learned how to let thoughts go and choose which thoughts to nurture. Do I do this perfectly? No, I don't. I have moments throughout my day where I let go of the rod of iron and I wander away. But when I notice I have wandered, I let the thought go and I come back. The more I practice, the faster I'm getting at coming back. I am faster at noticing when I start to tell a story and I notice the transition moment of when the story gets personalized. I physically feel it change inside of me and start to take root when those you statements become I am statements. I don't want those shameful thoughts to take root. So as I observe this happening, I call upon the sun to scorch up the seed of the thought that started to grow so it can wither away. Friends, the fruit that is desirable to make one happy is at the tree of life. It is at the tree that is grounded in truth. We taste of it when we cling to the word of God, the thoughts that come from him. We taste of the fruit of 
unhappiness when we wander off and we believe the shaming interpretations of Satan. To live at the tree and be happy requires the skill of watching your thoughts. Of all the people Lehi describes in his vision, there's only one group of people who taste of this fruit that's desirable to make one happy and actually stay there. This group has learned how to not wander away. How did they do it? They heeded not the mocking in the great and spacious. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines the word heed as to mind, to give attention to, a steady look. In other words, they don't plant those seeds and nourish them. They cast them to the wayside. It takes practice to, number one, watch and observe the thoughts, and number two, to not become preoccupied with them. The moment we start repeating, replaying, ruminating, or retelling the story, we are effectively planting it in the good ground of our mind to bear fruit. But oh, dear friend, let us be intentional of which fruit we really want. The fruit of happiness. Imagine yourself watching your thoughts and mindfully choosing which ones to plant and nurture and look forward with faith. If this concept of watching your thoughts was compelling to you and you wonder how to practice this, I invite you to take my free mini meditation course called The Miracle of Meditation, how to transform your prayers for more presence, connection, and revelation. Meditation is my most important practice of the day, and I use it for so many things, including helping me notice where my thoughts are coming from. Most of my listeners already have a practice of personal prayer, but the idea of meditation can seem a little foreign. What if I told you meditation is simply a higher form of prayer, and you could integrate it right now into your personal prayers? This free course will teach you three things you can do right now to make your prayers more meditative. It is the perfect bridge between traditional prayer and meditation. If this is calling out to you, I invite you to register at the link in the show notes, or you can find it on my website at brooksnow.com. If you're ready to jump into guided meditations with a Christ-centered focus, I'm a proud partner with the Small Seed Still Meditation app. I have written and recorded dozens of meditations for this app to meet a variety of topics and needs. You'll find it in your favorite app store, and I'll link it here in the show notes as well. You can do this. I am cheering you on.